As we continue on in our series in the book of John, we come to the second session and we're reading this morning from first John, from John chapter 1, verse 35. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John? You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. Father, this morning as we open your word, as we read what you have for us, we pray that you would help us to just understand that a lot better. Father, as we get to this story of how Jesus and the disciples became acquainted, Father, we just pray that you would help us to learn some lessons and what it means to know you better and what it means to be able to tell others about what we have experienced. So, Father God, just be with us in our time this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What John does in the beginning of his gospel is he gives us kind of a chapter of the backstory. So he starts out, as we looked at last week, with this um, introduction, this prologue, this in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God. And he takes us back to the very creation of the world. In fact, he takes us back behind creation. And uh, this morning he starts us in the story of Jesus in his public ministry. But he explains a little bit about how Jesus and the disciples and John the Baptist all fit in together. And I think if we don't read much in the, in the Gospel of John, but we spend more of our time in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we probably have a, a misconception of how Jesus and the disciples started out. So sometimes it's just helpful to kind of get behind the story, to get the start of the story. And part of that is just, I get fascinated by where do names even come from? You know, like the names of businesses. Um, Ikea. Well, Ikea comes from the name of the founder of the store, whose name was uh, Ingvar Kamprad. And then he took the first initial of the farm where he grew up, Almterid. And then he took the parish that the farm was in, Agunarid. And the I and the K and the E and the A from that became the name of the store. Um, there was a conglomerate in Minnesota. It mined grinding wheels. And since it was located in Two Harbors, Minnesota, it was known as Minnesota Mining and Manufacturing. We know them better as the maker of Post-it Notes, the company 3M. 
Maybe in your house somewhere you have some PAM spray. You know the stuff you spray on to stop food from sticking. Interestingly enough, the name of that comes not from a woman. It comes from product of Arthur Meyerhoff. Probably you've never driven a Fiat, and honestly, I hope you never have to, but Fiat is not a, a word in Italian either. It's actually an acronym, Fabrica Italiana Automobile Torino, which translates Italian Automobile Factory of Turin. We've all seen those commercials on TV, you know, the Geico ones, where you have the little gecko that's always talking and has that beautiful British accent. And Geico, again, is just from the letters of Government Employees Insurance Corporation. It was originally just for the uh, U.S. government employees, but broadened out. And if you buy your gas at SO, you probably know SO is just simply the initials of Standard Oil, S-O. Well, John kind of gives us a little bit of background this morning. Uh, after his introduction, he begins a story, and he starts by talking about John the Baptist, because John the Baptist was the one who came to introduce Jesus. According to the Gospels, John was living um, in the wilderness. He was wearing skins. He was eating locusts and wild honey. And even in John's day, that was a little bit out of the ordinary. In fact, it was pretty close to what we would call bizarre. But for the people of Jesus' day who knew their Bible, which for us would be the Old Testament, what immediately they would see in that is they would see Elijah the prophet. It's how the Old Testament describes Elijah himself. And there was this promise in the Old Testament that a prophet like Elijah would come. We find it in the end of Malachi, which is the last book of the Old Testament. And, and when John was asked, he said, well, I'm not Elijah come back, you know, because Elijah had never died. He'd gone to heaven in a chariot, if you want to read that story in 1 Kings. But um, he said, no, I'm not just Elijah come back. And I'm not the prophet that uh, Moses promised would come. But I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. I am here to introduce someone new onto the stage. Now, we could spend a lot of time on John the Baptist. He's a fascinating character, but, but the essence of his ministry was really very basic. It was to create anticipation and awareness that Jesus was coming. So John is somewhere along the Jordan River. We don't really know. The Jordan River, of course, runs from the Sea of Galilee to the Dead Sea, and somewhere along that line, he's baptizing. Uh, we have a place where uh, we think he was. In fact, I've, uh, we were there with the trip that we did from the church, and I baptized some people from our church in the same river, in the same place, and that was a special day. But uh, we don't know for sure that's where he was, but, but he was somewhere in a pretty deserted place, and he was baptizing people, and Jesus comes out to meet him. And Jesus at this point is maybe 30 years old, somewhere around there, and he is baptized by John. Although in the Gospel of John itself, he doesn't mention that baptism except in passing. But with that, we come to the text that we read. And we just want to walk our way through that and then try and figure out, well, what is that saying to us this morning? So let's just take a look. The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God. So Jesus is there with two, uh, John is there with two of his disciples, and he sees Jesus, and he describes him as the Lamb of God. 
It's actually the second time in that same chapter, and we didn't read the first one. It was a little bit earlier in the chapter, but it's the second time that John has described Jesus using that phrase, Lamb of God, which has never been used of Jesus or the Messiah before this. He says in uh, John 1.29, the next day when he saw Jesus coming toward him, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And maybe it's just worth pausing for a second just to try and figure out, well, what was John saying by that Lamb of God image? And I don't know what you kind of think of. Um, all kinds of associations come to mind for me when I think of Lamb of God. I think of uh, the Passover Lamb where Jesus will be that Passover lamb by the end of John's gospel and all the other gospels, always his death is set in the context of Passover. Maybe the lamb that was sacrificed in the morning and the evening in the temple. There, there's that image. Maybe we think of Abraham sacrificing Isaac on the mountain. At the last moment, God steps in and there's a ram who's caught in the thickets and the ram is in place of Isaac. Or maybe it's a scapegoat where you have these two goats and the priest lays his hands on them once a year and says, you know, the sins are transferred to you and one, one goat is, is killed and the other goat is sent out into the wilderness. It escapes with the sins of the people and takes them far away. Ah, there's a lot of images that are there and none of them fit exactly. And I don't think any one of those is actually what John's thinking of. I think we're supposed to think of those. But it wasn't what John was thinking of. John, in John's day, there was this belief in a warrior lamb. Yeah, and I know that's just a crazy kind of, uh, crazy kind of oxymoron. You know, a, a warrior lamb who's going to come and rescue God's people. Um, it's just a contradiction in terms for us. And it was for them, too, to be really honest. But, you know, um, my uh, apologies to any uh, University of Minnesota um, fans in the crowd, but um, the University of Minnesota have the Golden Gophers. Uh, that's the name of their football team. It's the name of all their teams, but their football team. And the fight song for the University of Minnesota Golden Gophers football team goes like this. Oh, you gophers, you fighting gophers, break the line and win this game. And I'm pretty sure that when uh, the opposing teams hear about the fighting gophers, uh, fear is in their hearts, you know? Um, it's a little bit different than the New Zealand all-black rugby team, right? When they come out and do the haka at half uh, at midfield just before the game starts. Uh, that to us is more aggressive. Fighting gophers, not so much. And warrior lambs, yeah, probably not even in the picture. But it comes out of some... Uh, well, it comes out of the book of First Enoch, which is not a biblical book, but was a book that people were reading in Jesus' time, talking about what the end would be like. And we actually do see that image in the Bible. It comes in Revelation. And a couple of times, the lamb who was slain is this warrior lamb. In fact, in Revelation 17, they will make war on the lamb, and the lamb will conquer them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those with him are called and chosen and faithful. And it's really this hidden image that, that God is going to break in. And so to tell it in a way that their overseers, the Romans who control the world, will not be kind of, oh, these guys are being seditious. These guys are trying to lead a rebellion. They kind of, well, it'll be like a lamb. And the Romans go, yeah, yeah, we'll take on the lamb. And so it's, it's sort of a, a hidden image, if you want. But that's who John saw. 
And that's why later on John the Baptist will send people to Jesus to say, are you the one who is to come? Like, I don't see the warrior. I see the lamb, but I don't see the warrior. Where is that part of it? But anyway, he's describing Jesus to these disciples, and he says, this is the lamb of God who will take away the sin of the world. And two of John's disciples hear that, and they decide they want to know more. And so they begin to follow Jesus. Reading further, the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, where are you staying? And he said to them, well, come and see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. Um, we're not sure what time the 10th hour is. Uh, in Jewish time, it starts at 6 o'clock in the morning, so 10th hour would be like 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Roman time starts like us at midnight, so it would have been 10 in the morning. But whatever it was, they came and they spent some time with Jesus. And they spend the rest of the day with him, and they're so impressed that Andrew decides to go back and get his brother. So reading on, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You will be called Peter, which means rock. So there's two disciples that hear from John that this Jesus is the one that they've been waiting for. And one is named, his name is Andrew, the other one is unnamed. And there will be this unnamed disciple that shows up again and again and again and again in the book of John. And most people believe that that's just John the gospel writer, who is not the same as John the Baptist. So we've got two Johns you've got to separate out here. But the unnamed disciple, John just doesn't refer to himself, just kind of a, uh, a, a humility kind of thing. And uh, But we know from the other Gospels that Peter and Andrew were partners in a fishing business with James and John. So for John and Andrew to be together would not be a surprise. So they go and they discover some stuff about Jesus and they spend the day with him. And then reading on, it says that Jesus decides that he wants to head back to Galilee. He's heading back to Capernaum, which is his hometown. Uh, it's also the hometown of Peter and Andrew and James and John. And uh, just before he leaves, he finds a guy by the name of Philip. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. So, so Philip finds Nathaniel. Nathaniel, we're going to read about a little bit more. Um, we know Nathaniel better from the other Gospels as Bartholomew. Uh, Bar means son of, Tholomew, Ptolemy. Um, so Nathaniel, the son of Ptolemy, kind of his full name. Um, he, it says, was actually from the town of Cana. Cana was a little town about two miles from Nazareth. And always when you have you know, two cities close together, think Calgary, Edmonton, uh, you always kind of think, well, you know, can anything good come out of Nazareth, right? Uh, just put Edmonton in there if you want, and you understand the story. But he finds us, Philip. Philip is from the same town as, uh, as Andrew and Peter and James and John, and he finds his friend Nathaniel, and he invites him to come and see Jesus. 
Well, that's the story. What do we learn from that? And I just want to spend a couple of minutes just thinking about that because I think there's so much to learn. And I wish we had like multiple sermons to do this. But let's just really quickly, let's try and figure out three or four things. Well, the first thing we do is we've met here five of Jesus' first disciples. Uh, we've met John, the unnamed disciple. He has a brother named James. Um, so if we included James, now we've got six. They're all followers of John the Baptist. This is the interesting piece. They're all followers and disciples of John the Baptist, kind of part-time. They're still part of the fishing business back home for uh, Peter and Andrew, James, and John. But when there's a lull in the business, they come down to John, and they spend time with him. They're in this isolated spot. The only reason to be there is because of John. They're from the same hometown. There was another friend who they knew, obviously, Nathaniel. So six of Jesus' disciples all knew each other before they ever became disciples. It wasn't like he gathered this band of, well, you're from here, and you're from here, and you're from here. I mean, some of them probably didn't know each other. Maybe Matthew was like brand new to the group. But the core of that group actually was pretty tight before they ever became disciples. In fact, four of them were in business together. And even closer, if we read carefully, and this is a little bit of speculation, but it's, it's interesting, it's probable or possible that James and John are actually related to Jesus. And they would be related through their mother. And we'll look at that in just a second. And James, and of course, John the Baptist is related to Jesus through his mother. And so, therefore, James and John would be related to John the Baptist through their mothers. It's all a kind of Mennonite cousin kind of way, probably, but um, it would explain how they got to be in the desert with this guy, if there was some sort of a connection. It, it, you get this from just comparing the names of the women who were at the cross with Jesus from John, from Matthew, and from Mark. So in John, it says, standing at the cross of Jesus were his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene, four people. In Matthew, it says, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. Three people. And in Mark, there were also women looking on from a distance, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger, and Salome. And William Barclay kind of does the math this way. Mary Magdalene appears in every list. Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and Mary the wife of Cleopas must be identified as the same person. That being so, the remaining person is called Salome, the sister of Jesus' mother, and the mother of Zebedee's children, which would mean Salome was the mother of James and John, and was the sister of Mary, the mother of Jesus, and that therefore James and John were full cousins of Jesus. I don't know that you can make that as a legal case, but it's sure the way the, disciple, the, the Gospels write the story. So most of us are familiar with Jesus walking along the beach and he sees uh, Peter and Andrew and he sees James and John and he uh, fishing and fixing their nets. And uh, as Matthew puts it, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I'll make you fishes of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed them. 
And it's easy to read that and say Jesus came along the beach and he saw these two guys that he'd never seen before, that he'd never met before, that he knew nothing about. And he said, hey, you two, you're going to follow me. And then he goes a little further and says, hey, you two, you're going to follow me. And what we discover from the Gospel of John is that there was a pre-existing relationship that was there. They had already been part-time followers of John. They would come down whenever there was a lull in the fishing business, and they would spend some time with him. And in Matthew, Jesus is calling them to actually follow full-time. He's saying, no, you can't just do both anymore. You have to just give up one and choose the other. Give up the fishing business permanently. And Jesus invites them to come and follow him. And he does it with these interesting words. He says, come and see. So Jesus is inviting people to follow him. And I'm often asked by people in the church, how do I talk to my friend about God? I want my friend to follow God the way I follow God. How do I invite them to do that? And I just think there's some stuff in this passage this morning that just helps us learn how to do that. When I started out like 50 years ago as a, as a teenager, I was taught about evangelism that you go and you explain to people about the fact that they're sinners, that they need God's forgiveness, and uh, they can't earn it, they can never be good enough, they need to confess their sin, they need to ask God for forgiveness, and they need to trust that Jesus has uh, been good enough for them, has paid the penalty, as we used to say. And they would invite Jesus into their lives. At the end of this hour-long conversation, you would have a wonderful Christian person. Now, I think that worked back then. More or less, because at least back then people knew the Bible. They believed in a God. They knew they had sinned. They were just confused about how hard it was for them to become followers of God, how hard they had to work to earn God's love. And as long as you only wanted them to kind of understand how to get to heaven when they died, it worked. It wasn't so good on becoming a fully devoted follower of Jesus, but it was, a, it was an effective way of helping people begin a relationship with God. I think the problem with that is today, none of those things apply. They don't know anything about the Bible. We've got all sorts of ideas about God in the community around us. Um, I just think it's like the end of that prayer by Emmanuel Cleaver, you know, the one that he prayed in Congress this past week. We ask it in the name of the monotheistic God. Brahma, and God known by many names, by many different faiths, a man and a woman. I mean, you don't get a more confused understanding of God than at the end of that prayer. And I just think that's how people think about God. I think people are confused about being sinners. They're not really sinners. They're just not very good at times, but they're still good people. They don't believe in heaven or hell, and if they do, they're going to go to heaven. And no hour-long conversation is ever going to fill all those gaps. We are never going to convince people that the death of Jesus Christ had anything to do with them in this one-hour conversation where you're just quoting Scripture verses that they neither understand nor believe. And the question is, well, how do you help these people come to God? How do we make a difference in our world? How do we help the people that we care about Begin a relationship with God. And I think those words that Jesus said are just profound. Jesus said, come and see. 
Come and explore. Come and experience. Come and learn. Come and discuss. I think that's why Alpha has become such a successful ministry of introducing people to God. It's why we do it here at our church. It's because you have 13 or 15 or 16 or however many sessions you run that session where people come and they get to eat together and they get to learn and to trust and to hear each other's stories and they hear some teaching about the Bible from Nicky Gumbel or from someone else and then they get to discuss it and unpack it and begin to figure out what it all means. They get to come and see. They get to come and explore. They get to come and discuss. They get to come and experience. They get to come and learn. And Jesus said to these two disciples of John, come and see. And then Philip finds his friend Nathaniel. And he says, we found him. And Nathaniel says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip says, come and see. In chapter 4, in a couple of weeks, we're going to read that story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman. You remember he gets at this well, and he's all alone, and this woman comes, and he begins a conversation with her, and, and he convinces her of God, that he can introduce her to God himself. And it says in John 4, The woman left her water jar and went into the town and said to the people, Come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. How do we reach out to our friends? Well, I don't think it's by arguing. I don't think it's by trying to prove all our points. I think we invite them to come and see. I think we invite them to come and experience. I think we come and invite them to do that. And the other thing is this invitation always traveled down relational lines. Jesus, who came to John's disciples, who probably knew him beforehand, says, come and see. Nathaniel goes to, uh, Philip goes to his friend Nathaniel, come and see. The woman goes back into the village, the people who have known her all her life, come and see. And the first thing all these people did was they started by telling other people about that they knew about Jesus. I was in Fort St. John in the mid-80s. And at the church there, we had a guy who later became a church planter with us, Al Stebing, and Al pastored a church in Charlie Lake for us that uh, we started while we were up there. And Al had been um, talking to a friend of his, let's call him Fred. And he talked to Fred about God, and, and Fred was interested, but maybe not interested, and, and Fred had kind of a lot of things, and so... There was a Billy Graham film showing in the theater. This was back in the days when Billy Graham made kind of uh, story films. But somewhere in that story film, this person went to a Billy Graham crusade and got converted. That's how every film was kind of in that model. And um, we actually, in the theater, would have people at the front who could, uh, we'd actually have an altar call at the end of the movie. And we'd have people trained at the front. And I um, coordinated that for the years I was up there. And uh, we'd have actually people that you could come and give your life to Jesus in the theater. And uh, Al said, go see the movie. And Fred went and saw the movie. He didn't go forward. But he went back to his home, and he was sitting in his hot tub that night. And sitting in that hot tub, he just felt convicted that, that he needed to, to intentionally follow God. 
and he made his commitment there. He always said later that every Baptist should get converted underwater because that's just, you know, the right thing to do. But anyway, in his hot tub, he found Jesus that night, and he went and told his wife, and his wife um, also became a Christian. And then he started coming to church, and he brought his two kids. And then he started talking to his sister about Christ, and she began to attend, and she brought her three kids. And then uh, after a while, her husband started to attend, and then he witnessed to another sister, and she began to bring her two children. She didn't have a husband. Um, he witnessed, uh, he was a co-owner of a business with, with someone, and he began to talk to, to her about Jesus. And she started to come, and she started to bring her daughter and her granddaughter. And then another employee of the firm started to come. And then when uh, Fred's father died, his mother um, was open to the story for the first time. And ended up starting to come to church as well. And we had this entire family connection that came to that church simply because Al, who was one of our uh, elders at the time, later became a pastor, was just telling his friend about Jesus. And through the relational networks, all these people began to have a relationship with God that was deep and rich, began to come to church. And their lives were changed. Because in essence, Al worked down his network of people that he knew and said, come and see. Come and see what God is doing. And I just wonder, when was the last time we did that? When was the last time we told anyone about how important Jesus was to us? And I know in COVID, it's not the way it used to be. You can't invite your neighbors over and whatever. You know, it, it's going to be different. But, but let me close with an invitation this morning. This week, why don't you just take some time with God, maybe at the end of this uh, video even, and just ask Him to show you some people that you can invite into a deeper relationship. Who are the people in your neighborhood, as the old song in, in uh, Sesame Street used to say? Who are the people in your family that don't know God? Who are the people in your workplace, in your extended friend list, in your neighborhood? Who are people that God is putting on your heart? And I invite you to write their names down. Write them somewhere where you begin to pray that God will draw them to him. If you read your Bible every morning and you have some quiet time with God, put that list there. And every morning as you're praying as part of that, just say, God, help me to figure out what I can do to help draw them there. And then pray specifically that God will open their eyes to what's going on. See, God, I don't think is going to break into their lives in some way and just say, well, now you have to believe. What God is going to do is he's going to reveal himself to them. They're going to come and see him. And uh, Paul in 2 Corinthians says, the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ. And what we're praying is that God will open their eyes, that he will unblind what Satan has done. And so we pray that on a regular basis. Father, open their eyes. Help me to know, is there things that I could do? And then find things to invite them to be part of. Maybe the sermon series. We're going to be looking at, at Jesus and who he is. Uh, next week, we're going to look at Jesus as he makes 100 gallons of wine. I mean, who doesn't relate to that story? 
Next week after that, Nicodemus, what it means to be born again. What kind of sermon would that be for someone to listen to? Find other ways to include them. Find other ways to have conversation. Will it work? Man, I wish I could say there's a guarantee. But I don't know. But maybe the introduction, maybe the invitation is just simply, well, come and see. Come and see how it all works. As part of our New Year's resolutions, I mean, you've already broken most of the ones you already made, so let's make some fresh ones. As part of our New Year's resolution, let's just covenant together to reach out to those around us and intentionally through prayer and through invitation to seek to draw them to God. John the Baptist came. He said, I'm just the voice of one crying in the wilderness. I'm just the voice of one who's trying to introduce people to Jesus Christ. And he introduces these two disciples. And these two disciples bring some of their friends. And then Jesus works through them to change the world. My friend Al Steving up in Fort St. John just reached out to the people that were in his network. Guy who lived just down the road from him. He invited him to go to that movie to, to consider Christ. And, and, and he ended up bringing that whole family. And I just wonder what could happen if we just follow what God's doing in our lives, that we just reach out to people, and not by argument, and, and not by all kinds of things, but just say, hey, come and see. Come and see the difference that God has made in my life. Come and see the difference God has made in your life. And wouldn't it be wonderful if by the end of this COVID, we had been able to reach out to some of these friends and we can really invite them to come and see when, when some of these restrictions are lifted. But that we've built that relationship. We've invited people to come and see. And God is changing the world because of our faithfulness. Father God, this morning we just pray that you would help us to hear your words. Help us to see what John was doing, how Andrew called his brother, how Philip called his friend, how the Samaritan woman spoke to her village. How my friend Al invited his friend and how his friend invited his family. And Father God, we pray that you would use us to make a difference for you. Father, may we find our place in your story as a voice crying in the wilderness. Come and see. And we thank you for all this in Jesus' name. Amen.